0: And uh, as we look at the first commandment, uh, specifically we're going to look at the sin of pride, uh, which is a pretty difficult thing um, for someone like me and someone like you because we're prideful people. Uh, and, and I don't think that you will ever uh, hear this from Charles or me or Dan or whoever is preaching, but uh, we really try not to, to preach at you. Or to preach down to you because um, we spend uh, at least a week with, um, with these passages and God shapes our hearts um, and we have a long way to go uh, in growing uh, in Christ-likeness. So um, that was true for me this week in thinking about pride. And um, so just want to say my, um, my thinking on, on pride was shaped greatly this week by a couple of guys, C.S. Lewis, I think you may have heard of him, um, and uh, and also a pastor named Mike Sherritt. So I want to want to give them a credit where credit is due. Um, before we before we dive into our passages and, and read them, um, I I think all of you should be familiar with the comedy stylings of Brian Regan. Um, he's pretty popular. Uh, if you're not, uh, go look him up. He's a clean comic, but he's got this one bit um, about how he wishes in social settings that he was one of the 12 astronauts who walked on the moon because how can you top that story, right? Uh, He says, you know, you can be at a party and there's a guy maybe in the corner who's drawing a lot of attention who's a big shot and he's talking about his, uh, his summer, you know, at his vacation home in the Mediterranean and he caught a marlin off the back of one of his six yachts, you know, going on and on and on how much money he made this past year and Then you're over there at the Chips and Dip, you know, just waiting for your turn to to chime in. He said, yeah, I I heard you talking about driving your Lamborghini down the Autobahn at 185 miles an hour. That reminds me, you know, they don't have speed limits on the moon. Um, (laughs) I uh, remember driving the lunar rover across the sea of tranquility, and I thought, I'm the only one up here. I can go as fast as I want. (laughs) Uh, You know when people are being prideful, right? Um, It's the the person who has the best stories to try to one-up you. Um, It's the person like me, who always tries to be the comedian and make people laugh. Um, The people who have to have all the answers. Maybe it's uh, the mother that you know uh, that had her hand in every aspect of wedding planning, and you're thinking, whose wedding is this? Or it's the dad that chose your vocation for you, your career path. It's the friend who always has to to be the center of attention and has to guide the conversations. The person who always has to be right. The person who has to have a sense of control and a sense of power. Pride is this gravitational force of self-focus where where you are at the center of the world, right? There's another way to put this. When, when you and what you desire, what you want... Uh, when that is ultimate you and you want control you are power seeking what you've essentially done is made yourself out to be god and god says in exodus 20 that i am the lord your god you shall have no other gods before me when we violate this commandment we are saying that there's something other than god and life with god that is ultimate We might like uh, look to a lot of things that we consider to be ultimate. Um, We do this with money and power and respect. But underneath all those things is pride. The God that we end up worshiping. If it's not the Lord himself, it's ourselves. When we see pride, uh, we we recognize it for what it is and we hate it. Right. I don't think there's ever a time we can look at someone and see how prideful they're being and say, you know, I really admire that about them. We hate it. But here's the thing about pride. It's probably, um, it's probably the, the hardest thing to recognize in ourselves. We see it in others, but we, we can't really see it in our own lives. We don't necessarily know when we're being prideful. M- maybe we get a hint of it when our ego is hurt. Or maybe when we're trying to be modest. I think I can see my pride most often when I'm, I'm trying to be modest, which modesty can really just be pride cloaked uh, with a lot of uh, stealth right? But here's the kicker. Pride is probably the most acceptable of sins. It's how our world operates. It's how our, our culture works. It's how you get ahead in life. If you are graduating college or if you're having a, a career change, a, a vocational change, you're putting together your resume and you try to make it look like you're a rock star, right? It's pride, Maybe to gain friends, you try to sell yourself as the person that's most desirable to be around. Self-help books um, talk about becoming the best you, and you're the most important in the universe. uh, That your desires are the most important desires. I'm reading a book right now by Jen Sincero. Um, It's a New York Times bestseller. It's called, well, I'll read the, the subtitle. It's called How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness and Start Living an Awesome Life. And in it she says this, she says, you are perfect to think anything less is as pointless as a river thinking that it's got too many curves or that it moves too slowly or that its rapids are too rapid. Says who? To shy away from who you really are would be to leave the world you Do not deny the world its one and only chance to bask in your brilliance. Pride is formative, right? It's life-shaping, it's heart-shaping, but not in healthy ways. And that's what we're going to talk about. Let me pray for us and then I'll read the text. O Lord, um, we ask that the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our redeemer, our strength. Would you show us your kindness? In Christ's name, amen. The Old Testament reading, uh, the first reading is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Isaiah chapter two, starting in verse one. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be to God. Um, it would be cool to be the astronaut, um, one of the 12 who walked on the moon, and to have the story that one up everyone else. But at the end of the day, no matter if you're the person who walked on the moon, you didn't create the moon, Not only God did. Right? You're, you're not God. I'm not God. You didn't create the moon. You didn't make the materials um, that went into the, the rocket ship to get you there. Right, you didn't, you didn't create the molecules that when joined together perfectly formed uh, the, the fuel that powered the rocket. You didn't create the brain that was able to figure out the math uh, or to build the, the tools to navigate space. You didn't create space. You didn't create the Earth. You didn't create the Sun. You're not God. You didn't create that that big fiery ball of gas in our solar system that's so large that 1.3 million Earths could fit inside it. Our Sun is but one star among about 300 billion stars in our galaxy. A galaxy, the Milky Way, that is a 120 light years across. That's 720 quadrillion miles. It's one galaxy in an estimated 200 billion galaxies in the known universe. That equates to one septillion stars. That's a one with 24 zeros behind it. You're not God. You didn't place the earth in a a habitable zone, if I can say that word. Um, in our solar system where we're not too far away, not too close to the sun where we don't burn up and it's not too cold where we can have liquid water. We're the only planet in the known universe to have liquid water and we have life. We have life that's suitable for us. You didn't fill up the oceans with water. You didn't create the plants, uh, the plants that we get medicine from to, to sustain us and to nourish us. You didn't make that essential oil that you use or that you sell, (laughs) right? Maybe you sell them, I don't know. You didn't make that vitamin. You didn't do anything. God did it. You're not God. God did it. And you're the beneficiary of his work that comes from his hand by his authority. You're dependent upon God for everything. He he made our bodies. He created our lungs, and he created air and the ability for our lungs to to take in oxygen, so we can breathe and live. Even even if if you're not a Christian and um, you don't have faith in, in the God of the Bible, you still get the wonder of it all. Uh, in her book, Jen Sincero, she's she's not a Um, A professing Christian, um, I think she's an atheist, but she she says, It never ceases to amaze me the precious time we spend chasing the squirrels around our brains, playing out our dramas, worrying about unwanted facial hair, seeking adoration, justifying our actions, complaining about slow internet connections, dissecting the lives of idiots, when we are sitting in the middle of a full-blown miracle that is happening right here, right now. We're on a planet that somehow knows how to rotate on its axis and follow a defined path when it hurtles through space. Our hearts beat. We can see. We have love, laughter, language, living rooms, computers, compassion, cars, fire, fingernails, flowers, music, medicine, mountains, and muffins. You're not God. That's what the Lord is saying in Exodus 20. You're not God. Let's just be clear. I am the Lord, your God. I'm the Lord your God. I'm the one who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You were in slavery for 400 years. 400 years. You tried to rebel. It didn't happen. You called out for help. No nation could have come to your aid. You're, you are a slave to the greatest superpower in the world. And then you pray. And I listen. And I come. And I deliver you. I redeem you. Did you do that? No, I did. Because I am God, and I've come to your aid. We're not God. That's our first point. We're not God. But we, we want to be. We want to be God. If you remember the movie, The Truman Show, uh, I'm going to spoil it for you. It's been out for 20 years, so that's on you. Um, it's, a, it's a great movie. Um, it's about, believe it or not, this man named Truman, uh, who was born on television. His life is real, but his world is not. Um, there are hidden cameras all around uh, his house, all around his neighborhood, all around his city, all around this, um, this world that he lives in. Uh, but everything about his world is fake. It, the, the, the world that he knows is on the, uh, uh, the U.S.'s and the world's largest film studio set. It's, he, he's the center of the most watched television show in history. It's 24-7. And it's interesting watching it. He eventually finds out that his whole life is produced. Like all of his friends, his parents, his postman, his university, his fellow students at school, his doctors, his nurses, they're all actors. And he figures it out. It is interesting watching it, though, um, because you empathize with him. You realize, I wouldn't want my life produced either. I I would want to be the one in control. I want to be the one who's calling the shots, Right. And yet there's something that's desirable about his world because the focus is on him. When that movie first came out, um, you didn't really hear anyone talk about how awful it would be to have a world captivated by your life and your desires. Because we want to be God, but we don't see our pride. Some things we just have to understand about pride. C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity, that pride is the vice of which no man is free. It's the sin underneath every single sin. Pride can mask itself as other sins, and so you start to, to work on killing that one sin, and then it still lives because it's it's present in every other sin in your life. Pride says, I deserve what I have, and I demand what I want. Here's how pride um, shows up underneath other sins in our lives. This comes from a guy named Mike Sherritt. Uh, in, in my lying, underneath my lying says, I, I don't want to tarnish my reputation if the truth is known. Underneath my greed, I'm saying I deserve this. I should have all the things uh, that that I that I want because I'm, I'm worth it. Underneath my lust, I'm saying I'm worthy of the pleasure that I seek beyond godly parameters. Under my gossip, I'm saying I'm important because I know secrets and you don't. Underneath my anger, I'm saying how dare you do that to me of all people. Underneath my my laziness, I have the right to use my time as I see fit. Underneath my lawlessness, I'm a special case. I'm an exception to the rule. Underneath my cheating is saying, no way should I risk looking like a, a fool or a failure forfeiting what I want. Underneath being unapologetic is me saying, I don't fail, I don't make mistakes. Underneath my pretentiousness is me saying, my reputation is paramount. Underneath my boasting, I'm saying I'm so important that I need to be recognized and esteemed. Underneath me being unapproachable, I'm saying I'm too important for you and you better walk on eggshells around me. Underneath my judgmental attitude, I'm saying I'm always right and possess the higher moral ground. Do you seek revenge? That's pride. Um, are you self-promoting? That's Pride. Are you demanding? Are you dominating? Are you controlling? Are you critical? Are you overbearing? Are you uninterested in other people? Are you self-protecting? Are you standoffish? Are you approval-seeking, self-absorbed? That's pride. Even, even anxiety is fueled by pride, if you think about it. I, I don't have control, but I demand control. I don't know the future, but I deserve to know the future. That's pride. Pride. You know, the sins that have, I think, the greatest grip in us are the ones that attack us very subtly, and that, that's pride, because we, we don't recognize it, we really don't see it. Uh, the philosopher Bertrand Russell, he was talking about pride um, and how so many of us have what he calls persecution mania, that when life is not going really well for us, we think the world is out to get us, that you're out to get me. So how do we combat this, this pride? He says, well, first, remember that your motives are not always as altruistic as they seem to yourself. Second, don't overestimate your own merits. Third, don't expect others to take as much interest in you as you do yourself. And fourth, don't imagine that most people will give enough thought to you to have any special desire to persecute you. C.S. Lewis um, said that pride is enmity, that other vices may sometimes bring people together. You may find good fellowship and jokes and friendliness among drunken people or unchaste people, but pride always means enmity. It is enmity but between not just man and man, woman and, and man, fellow human beings, but it's, it's it's humanity and God. That's that's the primary enmity that we have in this world. We're rebels against God. Um, providentially, um, David Brooks, the Writer for the New York Times, he had a column this week. Um, that's unlike other columns he usually writes. It was just full-on satire, which was great. Uh, it was on selfism. Um, here's what he said. He said, "Whereas maybe once that people were rising to do a lot of extracurricular activities uh, to try to feel morally superior to others, now it's a whole lot easier because now you can just focus on doing something that arouses." that tingly feeling of meaningfulness inside you, like going to the farmer's market and buying a lot of organic groceries and saying, ooh, that makes me feel really good um, and morally superior. It's, it's easy because you just have to highlight the emotions that you already have. He says it's, there's a four-stage process to this. First is instead of extending yourself to love and serve others, now I, all you got to do is just feel indignant towards other people because you have a superior moral awareness than they do. Your indignation indicates your own goodness. Uh, Second, you want your superior voice to be heard, and now all you have to do is just wear a T-shirt that says that. Brooke says, the third thing you want to do is to tell your story. It wasn't easy to come up with the feelings as good as your feelings. You had to go through a lot. You want to inspire others by sharing about yourself. Sometimes the bravest thing you can do is to talk about yourself a lot. Sometimes you have to keep talking about yourself, even though other people selfishly keep interrupting and try to talk about themselves. You condemn the bad people. You have to log in to your digital echo chamber um, and tell other people that you're not going to stand for this or that, or at least at minimum select the appropriate emoji that tells people you're not going to stand for it. Pride divides Right? It divides. Relational issues arise because of enmity. Um, the division that we have in relationships because of anger. There's, there's pride there. Uh, wars are caused. Right? Kings go to war. Nations go to war because of their pride. But look at Isaiah 2. The Lord says there's coming a day when, when he will settle disputes. He will settle the conflicts. He will put an end to war by putting an end to what? He'll put an end to pride. That's what we see in those later verses that that Melissa read for us earlier. He's going to put an end to it all. Jesus said himself that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Notice this juxtaposition of the humble and the prideful. The humble, as we see in in Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 5. And then the prideful in the verses that follow, if you have a Bible. Um, In verse 2, the the Lord shall be lifted up. The Lord shall be exalted. He is glorious. But then in the following verses, what? The prideful, they shall be brought low. He is God, we are not. Verse 3, there's an invitation uh, for From the humble to the humble, to go up to the mountain of the Lord, to what? To delight in him. And in the verses that follow, there is terror and judgment from the Lord that comes for the arrogant, the lofty, the prideful. We know from Mark chapter 5 that, that, that even the demons tremble before the Lord. They tremble b- before Jesus. In Exodus 19, right before the law is given, the, the mountain of Sinai trembles before the Lord. Look at, um, if you have a Bible, Exodus 19, verses 18 and 19. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. He's God, we're not. Verse 3 of Isaiah 2, the humble want to learn from God. and They want to to follow Him, but what about the prideful? The prideful follow themselves. They follow what they've deemed to be good. Superstitions, pagan customs. They seek after treasures that are worthless. They worship other gods, they exalt themselves. What about the humble? If we have humble hearts, we we are like those in Isaiah 2 that say, we want the Lord to teach us His ways, to teach us His law. That we would walk in His paths. But when we say that, we're saying, God, we are not you. I'm not you. I don't want to be you. I don't want to be in control. I don't have life figured out. But we don't readily see that because pride comes in so subtly. We don't recognize it. You're not God, but you want to be. And in spite of all that, God still loves you. He still loves you. Look at... Exodus again. I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. These are the words that come from the lover of our souls. He loves us. He says, "I'm the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God. I am yours. You are mine." This is a theme that goes throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament says, I will be your God. You will be my people. This is intimate language. Right? The Lord has promised himself to us. He's vowed himself to us. It's a vow of a husband to his bride. Isaiah 54, 5 says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. God's deliverance of his people from slavery, from from Egypt. That that is the moment, the event of deliverance, the event of redemption in the Old Testament. But it points to greater deliverance from the one named Jesus. He was called Jesus because he would deliver, he would save his people from their sins. And if you look at the New Testament, especially as you get to the book of Revelation, how does... How does scripture speak of Jesus in light of the price that he paid on the cross, sacrificing himself for for our sins? How how does does it picture him? It pictures him as our husband and we are his bride. The husband laid down his life for his bride. He laid down his life for us. Jesus is the son of God. He, He had everything, right? He didn't come to us in pride. He came to us Humbly, he humbled himself and left the glory of heaven, became a man just like us, who breathed the same air as that we, we do, and was tempted like we are. And he was born in this harsh socioeconomic climate, this harsh religious and political and even physical climate of Palestine a couple thousand years ago. He humbled himself even to the death of the cross. He Let himself be put to death by people that he created. He is God. We are not. He let those whom he created kill him. He went to the death because he loved us more than his own life. Our hope comes through Jesus' humility and humiliation. Pride is how the world operates. We, We know this. Um, but the gospel invites us to look at our lives and look at the world through a different lens. I know that pride is commonplace. You know that that other people may approve of, of living prideful lives, but pride is unthinkable. This is what the Lord is getting at. Pride is unthinkable for those that have been delivered by the Lord. It's unthinkable that the love of God and the love of Jesus cannot cohabitate with our pride. So what? If humility is the character of God, if it's the character of Christ, then to be prideful is to side with the enemy of our souls, not the lover of our souls. St. Augustine said, if you should ask me what are the ways of God, I will tell you that the first is humility. The second is humility and the third is humility. Humility does not if humil- if humility does not precede all that we do. Our efforts are fruitless. Isaiah in chapter 57 says that the Lord dwells in high and holy places, but he also dwells with the humble, with the lowly. The temptation uh, for us um, to combat our pride and temptation is just to say, stop it. Like we just need to quit it. Right. I think I can pull myself together enough to, to do that. We think better of ourselves because we're prideful. <laughs> uh, but the answer to our pride uh, is not stick to or our own strength, the answer to our pride is God's grace and His love and His mercy. And the response to God's grace and love and mercy is humility. Humility gives us eyes to see that, that what God gives us is far greater than what we deserve, right? It's far greater than what we deserve. And if there's anything that good that I get, it's, it's because of His love. It's because of His mercy and grace, If if there's anything good that I do that I can put on a moral resume, it's only because the Lord has been kind to me. It comes from Him. The humility also means being real about the depth of the sin of pride, right? It works into all the nooks and crannies of our lives. Like if you think you aren't a conceited conceited person, if you think you aren't very prideful, you're actually prideful, We we all are. This is all of our struggle. It's underneath every sin. It's the root of every sin, but guess what? If we if we uproot the root, everything else dies, right? If we cut it off at the root, all other sins die. That's why it's so vital to fight. That's why it's this first commandment that God gives: have no other gods before me. But we have to be realist or realistic that um, pride is something we're going to fight all of our lives, every single day, all of our lives. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, If killed, it revives. If buried, it bursts the tomb. Pride is a sin with 10,000 lives. It's true. We want pride. When we see pride and the ugliness of pride, we want it to go away very quickly. (laughs) Right? We want that hurt to be dissipated. Uh, But there's a speed to, to growing in humility, and that speed is slow. I hate that. It's slow, though. Uh, can God do anything and, and make us you know, a thousand times more humble right now than we were you know, five minutes ago? Yes, he can do that. And we pray for that. But it's probably going to be a really slow process. Um, it's probably not going to be a, a, a quick, a fast movement towards humility. We're just going to be inching towards humility. The battle with pride is a real fight. And we need each other for it. I, I, I need you. If we really want to battle pride, it means we have to open up ourselves to each other, that we have to invite others in to, to point out our flaws and also to rejoice in the victories and, and the growth that we see because that's probably one of the best ways that we're going to gauge how we're growing in humility is by you telling me and me telling you. The fruit of humility that, that is going to show up in our lives um, is going to come... Through how we engage in conflict with one another, the way that we listen, the way that we think and talk about success, the way we view success, the way that we spend money, the way that we communicate with our friends and our spouses, and the way we pursue intimacy with God, the, um, how quick we are to accept blame, accept faults, how quick we are to serve uh, the poor and disadvantaged people groups. How quick we are to welcome the stranger and how open we are to do that. How quick we are to exalt others and not ourselves. But there's a trap, there's a caution that I just have to say, um, that's that, you know, we, we might be doing all these things and, and by God's grace, I hope we are doing these things and growing in humility, uh, but here's the trap, is getting down the road and seeing growth and saying, man, I, I'm really growing. Especially compared to all those other people. Again, it's, it's pride. This is a daily battle. And we need each other for it. Let, let me just say this. Um, pride can man itself, uh, manifest itself uh, in thinking too much of what other people think about us at one extreme and thinking too little about what others think about us. Like, yeah, what they say don't really, doesn't really matter to me. If we live at either extreme... We can end up criticizing others to compensate for our insecurities. We, we can defend ourselves because we feel like we always have to be right, always have to be in control. So we manipulate others. Uh, we can fake peace just to avoid conflict. So what's the sweet spot? How do I know if I'm not thinking too much of what others think about me and thinking too little of what others think of me? What's the sweet spot there? I don't know. Um, that, that's hard. That's hard to determine. But I, I do know this, that it begins by, by remembering and noticing how God looks at you, how God looks at me, that his perspective of me may not be my perspective of myself in my life, that God loves me. He loves you despite your pride, despite your sin. That's why Jesus came. That on one hand, that that, that I selfishly and feverishly pursue my own happiness and my own desires because I think that those things are ultimate and most significant. But yet God selflessly pursues me. And he's patient with me. Because there's nothing that's more ultimate and significant than his love and grace and mercy for me if we're going to fight pride, that's where we have to start. He's God, we're not, and he loves us. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do love us um, to the degree that you would give your son for us. Um, Lord, we need to remember how merciful you are every moment of every day. We need to, to remember your grace. Um, to remember your love. And it's out of that, that, um, that our humility would be fueled, that pride would go away, that we would be able to be emboldened to fight against this greatest of all sin, the sin that, um, that caused the world to, to enter into a state of brokenness. As our first parents, Adam and Eve, they thought of themselves and their own happiness, their own desires Uh, before you and the life that you have chosen for them and for us. Lord, we pray that you would work your spirit within our hearts to uh, create new uh, repentance and obedience, where we would follow you into a life of deeper humility. And that that would, would bear fruit in our lives so that others may taste and see that you are good. We pray this for Christ's sake. Amen.